morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead, whether you're joining in from Glasgow or elsewhere in the UK or around the world. Our service this morning will be led by our minister, Katrina, and our preacher is one of our own members, the Reverend Dr. Ian Birch. Our musician this morning is Paul. In a moment or two, Nikiar and his family will be lighting our candle, and if you'd like to light yours at the same time, you're very welcome to do that. Immediately after this service, we'll take a 15-minute coffee break before continuing on Zoom for our AGM and church meeting. Please do stay if you possibly can and share in these important meetings. Then tonight at 7pm, evening services resume, also on Zoom, and that service will be led by Rebecca Gebauer of Wellington Church. Now, just a couple of notices about the craft projects which we've been invited to share in in the lead up to the COP26 climate conference. If you'd still like to contribute a fish for the banner that's going to be displayed on the mound in Edinburgh during the conference, please send it to Katrina by next Saturday, that's the 18th of September. Um, this is when she is going to be putting our panel of fishies and sea creatures together. She would be happy to collect your fish um, if you're not able to post it or deliver it to her, so just let her know if, if you would like her to do that. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID case numbers rising again at the moment and still so high, it's not going to be possible to get together as a group to sew this banner together. Uh, so Katrina will do that on our behalf uh, next weekend. And then earlier this week, Katrina posted off an envelope um, full of uh, origami fishies, I think about 18, Katrina, um, origami boats um, for uh, our Christian aid contribution. Uh, again, if you still got an origami boat and uh, you haven't posted it off, Katrina's offering to collect it and post it off in bulk uh, with others. So again, just let her know if you'd like her to do that. And then in family news, we were very sorry to hear that Dr. Beth's friend Charlotte died on Thursday. You may remember that Charlotte actually worshipped with us, I think, just three weeks ago, Beth, when she joined you um, and was part of our morning worship here. Beth has been supporting Charlotte and her husband and their baby, Jonathan, since Charlotte's diagnosis last November. So it's been a hard time for Beth too. But please remember all of them, as well as Charlotte's parents, in your prayers. And we also hold Lizzie and Petri, Holly and George in our prayers this week, following the death of their friend Emma, who was an extraordinary young woman. Next Sunday at 11am will be our special joint service with Wigton Baptist Church in Galloway and Ardbeg Baptist Church on the Isle of Bute. The theme of our service is St Ninian and our worship will be led jointly by Katrina, the Reverend Stephen McGarver of Wigton and the Reverend Peter Atkin of Ardbeg. And then in the evening at 7pm, Robin Green and Christine Johnston will lead our evening worship. But now it's time for Nikia to light our candle. So it's over to you. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is a light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. God of grace, we approach you in awe and wonder. Your beloved creatures, part of the creation that you have declared to be good. We thank you for the gift of this day, knowing that in all it will bring, you are with us. God of grace, we approach you in humility and contrition. Your beloved children, who often fall short of our own best endeavours, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness, freeing us to live more fully. God of grace, we approach you in hope and faith. Your church, gathered together across this nation and around the world. We thank you for the gift of community and all that that has the potential to be. God of grace, we approach you with others, those we know and those we will never know, to join our voices in praise and in prayer. Amen. Ey peder maçe dar asmani, name to muqaddas vat, malakut to biayad, irade to chenan ke dar asman ast, bar zamin nis karde shavad. نان کفاف ما را امروز به ما بده و گناهان ما را ببخش چنان که ما نیز آنان که بر ما گناه کردن را میبخشیم و ما را در آزمایش میآور بلکه از شریر رهاییده زیرا ملکوت قدرت و جلال از آن توست آمین
Bible reading is taken from Acts 15, verses 1 to 21. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are returning to God, sorry, who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. As you know, we are sharing in a short series of services, thinking about what it means for us to be Baptists. Not because Baptists are somehow the best and the only way of being Christian, but because that is what we are as a church. And last week, I spoke around the Declaration of Principle, the three statements that 
unite us with other Baptists across Scotland, across the UK, and indeed across the globe. And it's a real privilege to have in membership at Hillhead two of the staff at the Scottish Baptist College. And it, frankly, it would have been a bit daft just for me to talk about being Baptist when I have people whose day job is to help people think through what it means to be Baptist. So today it is a real privilege and pleasure to have Ian guide our thoughts as we respond to that passage we've just heard from the meeting of Paul and Barnabas with Peter and the other apostles. So thank you very much, Ian, and we look forward to what you will share with us, guided by God's Spirit. Well, many thanks, uh, Katrina, for this invitation to to speak uh, about this theme this morning. The theme is about communal discernment, how we listen to God's voice together and uh, understand his ways and his purposes for the life of, of the church generally and for our own uh, congregation. And it's maybe appropriate that we do that on a day when we're having a church meeting. When I first um, when I got married and first joined the, the, the Baptists and joined a Baptist church, uh, one of the things that I realised early on is, is that Baptists are quite radical people uh, at heart. And when I later began to, to read about Baptist history and Baptist principles, I realised that this, this is very true to our tradition. When Christian groups first began to gather uh, in the early 1600s, who were called by their enemies, not by themselves, by their enemies, Baptists, those baptising types, uh, I realised that they, they were Puritans who, who took their faith very, very seriously and their relationship with God uh, was very intense. And they decided that they were not going to be told what to do in practising their faith and organising their church by anybody else, which, of course, is exactly the way things were in the early 1600s uh, in England and in Scotland the church in those days was was one where the king and the Archbishop of Canterbury very much uh, organised what was going on in every church across the country. So it was the king and the archbishop who would decide who your minister would be. Uh, they would decide how the minister would even dress on a Sunday. Imagine that, Katrina, uh, if you were given instructions about what to wear on a Sunday and could be imprisoned if you did not conform. Also, they told churches how they should worship uh, and the minister was required to read somebody else's prayer uh, and somebody else's sermon, which was very much a way of controlling the population in those days, way before Twitter or Facebook or any other social media. The nearest thing to social media was the parish minister uh, who told all the peasants uh, to get in order and to do what they were told. The king and the archbishop even, even dictated how a church sanctuary should be laid out and which way a communion table should be orientated. And again, if you didn't do this, you were in big trouble. And uh, of course, who got married and baptised and buried was also dictated by law. And so things were things were very, very much controlled from, from the government, from, from the central uh, source of power in the country. And Baptists were amongst those who saw that this was highly problematic for their faith. Uh, and so they decided to rebel uh, against this, this process and decided to do things slightly differently. It's quite interesting that um, even when Anglicanism uh, was abolished in 1649, and a new system of church government came into place, which we would be more familiar with. That is Presbyterianism. Uh, Baptists didn't like that either because it merely swapped king and, and parliament running the show for a few top brass in synods uh, or elders. And Baptists were not keen on this either. And it's quite interesting that even in recent times, um, Baptists have stood against other authoritarian types uh, of authority in church or, or leadership in church and a few years ago when um, some charismatic style bossy ministers uh, began to take control in some Baptist churches 
they found themselves expelled from the Baptist Union uh, of Great Britain because this is not our way. From the beginning, Baptists believed that it was absolutely crucial to look to God and to listen to God's voice for how the church should be organised and what should be done in worship and in ministry and in mission. The church was called to live not under the authority of the king, and that's why um, Baptists have traditionally been quite Republican. I don't know where you stand on that, but Baptists traditionally have been quite Republican, and there were a few Baptists involved in uh, the execution of Charles I, also in 1649, but that's the murky side of our history, uh, which we, we could look at at another time. But Baptists believed that the only authority that really matters in the church is the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I guess Katrina was talking about that last week. We meet, we gather, and we do what we do under the rule of Christ. And so when the church gathers, it, it is to be a listening, discerning community as we listen for the voice of the Spirit who is being given to the church in order to lead us into all truth and to guide us into the ways uh, that the Lord would have us to walk in. Now, as I said, Baptists were amongst those peoples who were known as Puritans. And uh, one of the things that we know about Puritans is that they, they didn't um, meet and just sort of invent a new way of doing the church. Their deepest conviction was to model the church on exactly the way that things were done in the early church, uh, particularly in the book of Acts. And they studied and studied and studied, particularly the book of Acts, in order to learn about how God would want his church to be organised and would want his church to, to be run. And um, one of the important texts for Baptists in, in thinking about how God would reveal his purposes uh, and show us what to do was Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem, which we've read together. And Acts 15 was highly regarded as a, as a classic text telling a story of communal discernment, the whole congregation of God's people gathering together to talk and to listen and to understand what God would want us to do. And this became necessary in the early church because of a disagreement about the conditions that should be placed on pagan Gentiles who were being converted in great numbers uh, to Christ and were joining the church in Antioch in Syria. And some in the church felt that this was going to compromise the purity uh, of the body of Christ and, and was going to lead the church down some uh, dangerous paths. And so they began to have a dispute about whether it was necessary to become a Jew and to follow all of the, the laws and the Torah of Judaism in order to be a Christian, or whether God was doing a new thing in bringing these Gentiles into the church. Now, if you were listening to the, uh, the Bible reading or following it, following it in your own Bible, you'll notice that in verse two, it says that this question amongst the early Christians led to no small disagreement, or as it says in our translation, it led to a vehement argument. A mighty stooshy, uh, as we would have said in the Scots, uh, broke out amongst the early Christians. And that happens in Christian communities, does it not? Uh, vehement arguments break out. And so they wondered, well, what shall we do? How shall we resolve this issue? How do we find a way forward? Well, they had a number of options available to them. They could have had some sort of gladiatorial duel, uh, Peter and Paul and James and the others, and they could have gotten the arena and taken up swords. But I think in this, in this text, there are some really interesting and helpful principles that the early Christians adopted and early Baptists adopted too when they began to, to meet together and say, what does God want us to do? How does God want us to be as his people? How do we sort things out? And I would, I'm just going to unpick a few of these this morning uh, in my reflection. So 
First of all, in verse two, we are told that the church in Antioch decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem uh, to meet with some of the elders of the church, not to do battle, but to talk. And they decided that in the first place that they would meet and that they would discuss issues together sensibly uh, and as God's people. The way forward was to be through discussion and discernment. And in this sense, there was a real sense of um, interdependence between congregations and communities in, in trying to discern what was God's will and God's purpose for the church at Antioch. And I think that this is a really important um, principle that Baptists in recent times particularly have begun to neglect. One of the things that I discovered in my own reading about the early Baptists is that they had a real sense of interdependence between congregations and communities. And that's why they formed associations of Baptists in geographical areas. And one of their rules was that if a congregation was wrestling with a theological or a practical issue that was really taxing them and they couldn't resolve themselves, that they ought to reach out to other congregations and others around them in order that they might hear the, the, the spirit speaking and God leading in the way that they should go. And I think it's a wee bit sad in Scotland that we've done away with um, associations uh, and the opportunity for Baptists to meet more together and uh, to listen more to each other. And I know that many churches have struggled with very difficult theological and ministry and practical issues and have fallen out amongst themselves. And maybe things would have been better if there had been this willingness to be open to drawing in other people and other congregations in order that there might be a wider discernment of God's will and purpose. In the past, Baptists have spoken about this as a double listening, a double listening, which would be one of my principles about discernment for Baptists. A listening to God by listening to one another. And the two things are really critical. And that comes through through talking, through discussion and discernment, a willingness to share our ideas, to pool our thoughts and to believe that that God will speak through that. As we talk with one another, the spirit will lead us into truth. And that's what we see these um, early Christians doing, talking to one another uh, in order to hear God. So then in, we see in verse five in this text that uh, when they met together, that one of the things they did was they gave everybody on all sides of the, the dispute and disagreement and question they were wrestling with, the chance to air their views. And so we are told that the objections of the Pharisees, uh, who were most opposed to Gentiles joining the church without any conditions, uh, the objections of the Pharisees was given uh, full airtime by the apostles. And the, the, the thoughts and the ideas of the Pharisees were not merely dismissed as like stupid uh, or unhelpful or unwelcome opinions, but everybody was allowed to say their piece. And I think that it takes a lot of maturity and it takes a lot of courage in a Christian community to, to, to do this, to allow everybody on all sides of a, of a, a question to have equal chance to say their thing. And it means that nobody in advance of the process of discernment had decided who was in the right and who was in the wrong. I think back to times in church meetings in the past that I've been involved with where there's a really tricky question uh, that is being discussed and we gather for a meeting do you know what? And an awful lot of people before we ever get to the meeting have already maybe met with others, uh, but certainly in their own minds have a clear sense of where they want this conversation to go and what the outcome ought to be. They know the goal that they want to achieve and they're going to go for it. And they've got their strategy and their thoughts in mind. And church meetings on that basis can become quite conflictual and can become uh, quite 
quite unpleasant, I suppose. But here we see that um, when the apostles gathered, they allowed everybody just to, to express their thoughts, to say what they were thinking, where they were coming from, their deepest convictions. And all of this was weighed in the light of listening to the spirit by listening to one another. It doesn't work in a church meeting and for churches when, you know, people say, look, it's my way or the highway. Because our unity is not grounded in one particular practice or one particular doctrine where we say it's got to be this. I've got to win the battle. Our unity is grounded in our common faith in Jesus. And sometimes we can live with disagreeing with with people or disagreeing with things that are being done because our unity is not in our practice or in our doctrine. It's in Christ himself and it's he who holds the body together. Now, having uh, having heard the uh, the Pharisees and um, their point of view and the apostles having had their chance uh, to speak, Peter begins to bring his wisdom to this whole process of discernment by telling the story of the conversion of a Roman soldier and his family and the way that this experience of a Gentile and a Gentile who was, you know, the most extreme enemy of Jews coming to faith in Jesus and how this experience had shattered his view of what God can do and what God was doing and how God can do things. And what I see here in, in Peter's contribution to this act of discernment is that he was saying that experience had overtaken his theology and had led to a new appreciation of what God was doing in his church and through his church into the world in creating a new society. Now, again, this just strikes me as so important and so helpful, because as a young Christian, uh, I was told by a wise old brother in the church, you can't build theology on experience, young man. Uh, you cannot build your theology on experience. But as I've gone on in the Christian life, I think to myself, well, do you know what? Experience overtook theology in often enough in scripture and has done throughout Christian history. And communal discernment is really important because it is learning to recognise what God is doing and saying when he bursts the limits of our understanding and our expectations. Because God has a habit of laying waste to some of our deeply held traditions and our deeply held convictions. And I've seen this happen in churches where I've been a pastor and where I've been invited maybe to, to do some teaching from time to time. In Scotland, in recent years, I, I've seen it happen where churches have wrestled with the question of women in ministry or in leadership in the church. I've seen it happen where churches have been wrestling with the question of should children lead worship? What about the times even of services or the use of buildings and who should be allowed to, to come in and use the building? Some of the sort of really basic sort of practical questions that churches wrestle with and yet have become have been so deep, deeply held in people's you know, thoughts and convictions. And God has changed people's views and, and burst the bounds of the way that things were done in the past. And Peter's criteria for evaluating experience was when he saw the Holy Spirit come upon Cornelius and he recognised that here God was at work and God was doing a new thing and he needed to catch up with God in his thinking. And I think we've all had an experience of seeing that the spirit has a habit of blowing where he wills and not being controlled by us. And that's why discernment and learning to recognise what God is doing is really, really important as we move forward as God's people. 
And then we also see in this text something else that I think is really important for discernment is that it wasn't just experience that was in play here as people were understanding God's ways. But James speaks into the meeting in verse 13 to give a biblical perspective on the issue they were discussing. And it suddenly occurred to James that when it came to thinking about how the Gentiles and whether the Gentiles should be included in the church, the prophet Amos and the prophet Isaiah long ago had spoken about this issue. They'd spoken about the Gentiles coming home to God. And so what Peter and Paul and Barnabas were seeing in the conversion of the Gentiles is something that God had already planned for and they should have expected in the last days. And I like this. I like this. And I find this helpful that the voice of experience is being balanced with the voice of Scripture. And it seems that this is a wise way to move forward when dealing with difficult and challenging issues. And allowing God to speak into the situations that we face uh, is really critically important. And then one other thing I see here is uh, is the way that also priority is given to, to the voices of some of the key leaders in the church. Paul and Barnabas and Peter. And yet the whole assembly was involved in listening and weighing their words. And I think this is important to, as Baptists think through what it means to have a minister in a church and to have somebody who is a leader and, and is God appointed to guide and to direct us in the church, that their voice really matters. And their voice uh, counts for something in the process of discernment. And it's not that the minister just tells us what we've got to do uh, or is going to do that. But neither should the minister be completely sidelined and just treated as, as equal to anybody else. It seems here that there was priority given to the voice of key leaders. And yet this was balanced by the whole assembly speaking and sharing. Now, Andrew Rollinson, who some of you uh, will know from his past involvement in the Baptist Union of Scotland, uh, has written some really helpful material on this whole business of um, communal discernment. Uh, and there's there's one little thing that uh, I remember reading from him uh, some time ago, uh, and it, it just speaks into this issue. And he wrote, he said, every voice in the church is important, though not every voice carries equal weight. And that's what we see here in the book of Acts. Every voice is important, but not every voice has equal weight. In other words, when we appoint people to be ministers or deacons or, or managers in the church, we appoint people to leadership and they have special responsibility to listen to God's voice and to help to guide the congregation. We could say a lot more about that, but we won't today. So what is the outcome of this conference uh, it, that we read about here? Uh, in the book of Acts, this conference about mission and about the advance of the gospel in the world. Well, in verse 25, quite remarkably, we read that there was complete agreement about the decisions that they came to about how the Gentiles should be included in the church. There was complete agreement. Well, hallelujah uh, for that. If only that were always the case in church meetings and in church decision making. And we know that it isn't always the case. And decision making is not always quick and it is not always easy. However, they did come to uh, an agreed decision and they wrote to the churches to tell them of their decision. And in that letter, we have what I think is the most important statement in the whole of this chapter 15 of the Book of Acts. And one that we should take to heart as well as we think about what it means to be a community that discerns God's will. It comes in verse 28, so just beyond the bit that we read earlier. And they wrote to the churches and they said, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose upon you no further burden than these essentials about not eating blood and 
immorality and all, all other things. But this was the key phrase. In our process of discernment, they were saying, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to move forward in this kind of way. What an incredible statement to make from a church meeting. In a situation which could have resulted in a catastrophic split in the early Christian movement, unity and unanimity was achieved as a result of listening to the spirit and listening to one another, that double listening, as they discerned what God was doing in the conversion of people traditionally considered outside of the scope of salvation. And as a result of that double listening, the church grew and the church changed and God saw his kingdom expand. So, as I finish, what do we learn from this story in the book of Acts about communal discernment? Things that Baptists have honoured and treasured throughout their tradition and throughout their history. Firstly, disagreement among Christians is not necessarily bad and it is not necessarily wrong. Differences of opinion is natural amongst human beings and in human communities and can be healthy as we learn to understand and deepen our thinking about God's will and God's purposes. It's quite interesting at the end of this chapter, there's another disagreement that breaks out between Paul and Barnabas about John Mark. So it seems you know, it went round in circles and disagreement is not bad and not wrong. The second thing is that unity and uniformity cannot be imposed by strong church leaders who demand get with my vision or find another church. And I've heard that said, and it's really tragic when it is, and it isn't God's way. The church is to be a discerning community led by the spirit to know and to grasp the mind of Christ, our Lord and our King. And so in every age, and especially the one in which we live now, the church needs to hear afresh from God how to keep in step with his purposes and his mission. Because if we don't keep listening to God, listening to one another, our traditions become idols and they become stumbling blocks as we increasingly serve ourselves and not God's kingdom purposes. Someone once described the church as an acoustic community, an acoustic community a people that listen to scripture, to the Holy Spirit, to one another in humility, so that the voice of God can direct us in ways of fruitfulness. It's what the reformers called the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren, and I'll add the brethren and the sisters. You know, in the letters to Revelation, uh, the letters to the churches in Revelation, all seven letters from the risen Lord Jesus, who we believe is present with us when we meet in his name. All seven letters end with the challenge to be an acoustic community. Those who have ears to hear, let them listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let them listen, especially when that voice comes, as it will, through a sister or a brother in the community. Amen.
our prayers today, we will start with ourselves and then we will move outwards. These prayers will include some spaces of silence for us to bring to God our personal prayers. As Ian reminded us, one of the distinctives about the early Baptists and other early nonconformist churches was the desire and the practice of praying freely, whether that's out loud or quietly and privately. So let's pray. God of grace, you know us better than we know ourselves. You were present at the moment of our conception. You are with us now in all of life. And you will accompany us when we pass through the mystery of death to enter your nearer presence. This assurance enables us to bring to you our private, personal prayers. Not just a wish list for those things that we would like, but the earnest thoughts of our minds, the deepest feelings of our hearts, and even the incomprehensible, inexpressible blurness that sometimes overwhelms us. God of grace, you set us in diverse families and communities where we may discover fullness of life. From our own much-loved congregation, we lift to you today, Tamara, Hannah and Aaron, Jenny, Neil and Faye, Graham and Margaret L., Stuart and Perio, Holly and George, Sheila and John, John McKay, Heather and Kurt, Lizzie and Petrie, Dr. Beth, and as we note the death of Charlotte and the death of Debbie, friends of some of our young adults. We pray for their families in this time of loss and grief. In joy and sorrow, struggle and celebration, you are with us and with them. And so we pray for your comfort and that you would encourage and uphold all those we have named in these challenging times. As part of the Baptist Union of Scotland, we pray for our sister churches at Lighthouse Preston Pans, Linwood and Loch Gilphead, as they worship and serve, discern and discover. We pray for the Scottish Baptist College at the start of a new academic year, bringing new opportunities and new challenges for students and staff alike. In teaching and in learning, in ministry and in mission, you are with them all. And we pray that you would strengthen, embolden and encourage them in the days ahead. This week, BMS World Mission turned their focus to prayer for their supporters. And they say this. Our founder, William Carey, once likened the home support base for mission to people holding the ropes for those who go down into a mine. And so this week we pray for the rope holders, caring Christians who enable mission through prayer, giving, volunteering, and advocacy. We pray for ourselves as rope holders, for a firm grip, generous hearts and wise minds. 
across the world, among the least and the lost, the most marginalised and the least evangelised people, you, God, are with those who serve BMS. And we pray you would empower, encourage and energise them wherever they are. Lastly, as part of a global community, we pray for places and situations close to our own hearts. The stories we have seen, heard or read about in the news. Complex and challenging issues. People and places whose needs may be known only to ourselves and to God. In every place and situation, with every person and every community, you, God, are there. And we pray for your your gracious transforming, renewing and recreating. All these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.
May God bless us with wisdom and discernment, courage and compassion, so that today and every day, inspired by God's spirit, we may speak and be good news to the glory of Christ. Amen.